be in the house of God today. You know, sometimes life throws a curveball. And you know what? There's nothing like being in the house of God, grounding ourselves in his house where there is order and where there is direction and where God we know is in the center of it all. So I want to begin by asking you today. I don't know. You're going to have to take your mind back to when you were a child. Can anyone remember or did any of you enjoy hanging upside down on the monkey bars. I don't know, there's something quite exciting, wasn't there, about experiencing life upside down, watching the sky become the floor and people walking along the ceiling. There was something so, so excited. And I used to take any opportunity that I could to try and hook my legs over the monkey bars so I could dangle down. Or sometimes my friends would hold my legs if I did a handstand and you'd see how long that I could stay up there just to experience life from a different perspective. But I've got to say, I never lasted very long because all of a sudden you'd get the blood rush, wouldn't you? And you would be like, my head is going to explode. And then you'd have to come down and like recalibrate because you felt a little bit dizzy. But I was thinking about the excitement of experiencing life upside down. And it got me to think, thinking that really... That life upside down is a bit like what our life is like as Christians. When we make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives, everything changes. Everything changes and we enter into a different kingdom. We enter into God's kingdom and God's kingdom looks very different to the kingdom that we're used to. God's kingdom is opposite to that. And because of that, we kind of enter into something that we're not familiar with. And because it looks different, sometimes we may be thinking, well, how can I still be in the, um, still live on earth, but be in God's kingdom without ending up with a blood rush and exploding. Because I don't know about you, trying to enter and live in an upside down world is a bit difficult, just like trying to hang from the monkey bars and do life on a prolonged period, your mind's going to blow. So how do we manage to live in God's kingdom, which is upside down to our kingdom, without having a head explosion? And I think it's really simple. God changes us. That's what happens. How, do, how are we able to bridge between one kingdom and another kingdom? By God changing us. Because it's like nothing we've ever experienced before. Think about it. It wouldn't be possible to turn the other cheek. To keep no record of wrongs. To love your enemies and to forgive those who have done things against you without having some kind of change taking place. It wouldn't be possible. We wouldn't be able to do it. So how does God change us? How does he do it? Because the Bible doesn't say our salvation is modification. Okay, God doesn't modify us when we become saved. He doesn't say, oh, we'll patch this person up and that'll do. But no, how does he do it? Well, the Bible refers to our salvation as transformation. That is how God enables us to live in this upside down world. That is how he changes us, is by transforming us. And what he does through salvation is he gives us a new nature. Okay, he gives us a new nature, which is his nature. And that is what we need in order to live out the way that he's called us to live out. He gives us a new nature that is completely him. It is perfect. It is his way of doing things. And he says, I'm going to empower you with a new nature for this new life. And not only that, he also says that he's going to give us a new start. 
How many of you like the idea of having new starts here? Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, which is a new nature, and the old life is gone, and a new life has begun. So what God does is when we reach out to him in faith and say, I believe in you, like we've declared today, he says, right, new nature. I'm going to give you my nature now because I'm going to empower you to live my life. And what he says is, listen, now that you've got this new nature, I'm giving you a new start as well. So whatever happened in the past, whatever we got involved in before, whatever was our history, he says, draw a line in the sand. That is old. And now you have a new start from which that you can walk in this upside down kingdom, which is called the kingdom of God. I was reading a story recently, I think, which beautifully demonstrates the power of the salvation experience that we receive. And it says this, Shane Taylor was considered one of the most dangerous men in the UK prison system. Originally jailed for attempted murder, he had his sentence extended by four years when he attacked a prison officer with a broken glass, setting off a riot. He was put in a segregation unit inside a maximum security prison. He was given his food through a hatch. His door was not opened unless there were six officers armed with riot shields waiting outside. Later, he was transferred to Long Larton Maximum Security Prison, where he was, he was invited to Alpha. During the course, he prayed, Jesus Christ, I know you died on the cross for me. I hate who I am, who I've become. Please forgive me and come into my life. At that moment, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went running out onto the wing, telling everyone he could find that Jesus is real. His behavior changed so much that he went from living in total segregation to getting a trusted job in the prison chaplaincy. He prayed for prison officers. He prayed for his enemies. And when he came out of prison, he got involved in a church. He met a young woman called Sam who had had a tough life and had been involved in drugs and criminal activity. And she also came to faith in Jesus. Now they're married with five children. And talking to Shane, it's hard to imagine that he is the same person who terrified so many people in the past. He has experienced the wonder of God's great love. He says, Jesus has shown me how to love and how to forgive. He has saved me. He's forgiven me for what I have done. He has turned my life around. Isn't that wonderful? And example of this new nature, this new start that happens when we find Jesus. And we've each been given that new life and that new start. Our set of circumstances coming to Christ may look different to Shane Taylor's, but when we accept him, God says, right, I'm infusing you with all of me. And that is so excited. We are released because of the new nature that we have found in Christ Jesus we are released from the bondage of sin. Amen. We are released from that. Jesus overcame death and the grave. We are released from the bondage of sin. We are given a new start. We are given new desires. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to live out this life. And that is so, so, so exciting. We have been given a new start, a new nature. And now his command to us is to walk it out day by day, to walk it out. So how can we do this? How can we walk this out, boots on the ground? What does it look like? Well, there's a scripture in Romans 12 that talks about one of the ways that we get to walk this out, how this looks like. Romans 12, 2 says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Yeah. 
God wants us to experience his way of doing things. And the way that he does that is he doesn't say, will you just give this a go? He says, no, don't copy. Don't copy the way that you used to do things. But now let me transform you. And the word transform is where we get that word metamorphosis in our language. It is a metamorphosis and it means actually it's a change or a form in nature into a completely different one. That's what happens when God says, I'm transform yourself into the new person. He says, I'm changing you into a completely different person. So it says, Trans- let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God wants us to experience his new kingdom. And one of the ways he says that we are going to do that is by changing the way we think. Our thinking is inherently faulty. Because it's based in um, sin. When we were born into this earth, we were born into sin. We weren't born into the perfectness that God created the world in. But the new nature within us is completely perfect. But our way of thinking prior to Christ is faulty. And so we have to get rid of that faulty way of thinking. We have to get rid of that faulty way of doing things because if we try to live the new life that God has given us with faulty thinking, it's not going to work. We are going to find our head is going to get a blood rush and we are going to explode because like I said, it's not possible to do the things that God tells us to do in an old way of doing things. This new nature has to take precedence over everything. Think about it. Our thinking impacts every area of our lives. The way that you view the world, the way that you see things, the way that you process circumstance, the way that you process things is all dependent on your perspective. And if we process things outside of God's perspective, we're going to be making incorrect, unwise choices. But God says, no, I want you to change your thinking, change your perspective, see things the way that I see them. Because when we change our thinking, see, it's just not our thinking. Our thinking, our thinking affects every area of our lives. The way we think affects the way that we speak. The way we treat somebody is all dependent on our thinking towards them. You know, if you can't think of anything good about somebody and all you can think about is all the things that knock you about them, do you know what? It's going to be really hard to say something encouraging to them, isn't it? If all you ever do is say, oh my gosh, she does this and she does that and he, he does this and he does that and he's no good and he never helps and this. Well, you try and then act really lovingly towards a person that you are just having this really big slating match around. It's not possible. Our thinking actually dictates the way that we speak towards others. It dictates the way that we act. And that's why God says we've got to sort out this thinking because this thinking is going to cause you so many problems. God wants our thinking sorted out in the way that we think towards him. How do we view him? How do we view God? How do we view ourselves? Do we feel that like we're not up to much compared to everyone else? Do we have really low self-worth? Do we feel that somehow we've been bypassed in life and that nobody cares? If that's the way that we think about ourselves, guess what? It's going to impact the way in which we live. How we think around and towards other people. God wants us, he wants to change our perspective in all those different areas. And he wants our thinking to line up to his kingdom, to his way of thinking. 
And it is, it requires change. It requires a complete paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is taking what we think is what we know and saying, actually, no, there's another way. There's another way. And this morning, that's what I want us to look at. I want us to look at the other way of the kingdom. I want us to look at what this upside down kingdom looks like practically. I want us to think about what we think about. And that this is such an exhaustive topic that I'm just going to cover a few things today. But I really believe that the Lord wants us to really confront our thinking. Confront it. He says, don't copy. Just don't do things the way you used to do. Maybe people who haven't found Jesus yet, maybe they're carrying on doing things, but you don't do that anymore. You don't do things that you used to do now because I want to transform you. So I want us to look at some paradigm shifts that we need to have in our lives, realizations that say, actually, this is the way I may have thought, but this is now not going to be the way that I think anymore because we've got to be able to live in this upside down kingdom that God has beautifully given us access to. The Bible says he's called us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And this is what the kingdom of God is. It's light filled. It's beautiful. It's that light that attracts you to want to go forward towards it. So we're going to have a look at a few of those things. And I love that we get to see this tracking through the Bible. If you look at the life of Jesus, what did he do as we read about his ministry? He was turning people's expectations and prejudices on his head, on the head, and he was showing people what his kingdom looked like. He went around doing good and he was demonstrating what this new kingdom looked like. But not only Jesus, you look at how this kingdom way of thinking, when it gets inside of us and it just doesn't get in our minds, but we live out of it, it's amazing to see how other people notice what's going on. Let me read to you from Acts 17. And this is a, a passage where the Jews are looking for Paul and Silas and they, they're looking for them. And it says, these who have turned the world upside down have have come here too, saying, there is another king, Jesus. Can you imagine that God actually wants to turn our world upside down? And it just doesn't impact us, but it impacts everybody that we meet. That's what was happening in here in Acts. As the disciples encountered Jesus, as people began to follow Jesus and he changed their world upside down, it changed the way that they talked. It changed the way that they acted and people around in the society in which they were saw it and the Jews were saying who are these people who have turned the world upside down that's what Jesus wants to do through you and I he wants to turn our worlds upside down so that we can dispense and show people the upside down world kingdom of God that is so beautiful it's so wonderful and it's so filled with life and with light. So we're going to look at these paradigm shifts that are going to enable us to walk in the kingdom of God. And the first thing I want to, us to look at is really the foundation of our Christian faith. Because if we don't get this right, I think that we're going to really struggle in our day-to-day -day walk. And that is this. The Christian life is not a merit-based system. Okay? I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we may have as Christians. Because let's be honest, we live in a world where you're rewarded for, merit, um, for, um, for doing things, for your effort in our work, in our relationships, we earn people's trust, we earn our wage, we earn their love, we earn their acceptance by how we behave towards them. And if we take that way of thinking into God's kingdom, we are actually starting our Christian life on, in error. 
because it's not the way that God's kingdom work. Our Christian life is not based on a merit-based system. And I think that's the biggest paradigm shift for us. The gospel is the biggest paradigm shift that we will have in our lives. It goes from man's model, you need to earn something, to God's model, which is, I'm going to give you a gift. And salvation is a gift from God. We are not earning our salvation. Our salvation is nothing that we can do to receive it other than believe. There's nothing in our behavior that God says, right, if they do this, if they do this, if they do this, there you go, you can have salvation. No, it's got nothing to do with us, but it's got everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's completely undeserved. And we need to understand that because I think often if we feel that our performance as a Christian determines our salvation and how much he loves us, I think sometimes we're going to go around feeling quite disheartened because we all fail lots. And if we think that God's generosity towards us is based on our performance, then we're going to feel down in the dumps. But God says, no, 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 no. We need to understand this. Salvation is not earned. Salvation is God's gift. It is completely and wholeheartedly given as a gift from God because of who Jesus is. He was the perfect son who died on the cross for our sins. And that's why he is able to give us the gift because he's done everything. It's not based on our performance, not based on our performance at all. And not only that, I love that God doesn't take his gift back when we mess up. Because we do get it wrong, don't we, at times. But he doesn't get, take his gift back when we mess up. But actually, he says, do you know what? He says, I love you. I'm going to carry on living, loving you. And he says, come on, let's pick you up and let's help you on this journey. And do you know what else is really important to understand? Is that we don't hold on to our salvation because of our own effort. But actually, God is the one that keeps us on this journey. That is so freeing. Let me read to you from Corinthians 1. It says, He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when the, our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Even us get being strong to the very end is nothing to do with our own effort. He's the one that keeps us. He is his power that keeps us walking on this journey. And it's so important that we understand this. It's not in my love, in my forgiveness, in my acceptance. Rather, it's receive my love, receive my forgiveness, receive my acceptance. And that is the foundation from which we need to build our Christian life. And when we read the Bible and we read about all the beautiful promises that he has, has, we need to say, I can have that. Not because I'm a brilliant person that knows it all, but because Jesus says I can have it because he's done it all. And he says, receive the promises that are found in the word of God. So this morning, I want to share and just say, it's not merit-based. It's all based on what God has done, nothing on what we have done. So be free to walk each day knowing that God's done it all. It's an undeserved gift that displays the beautifully lavish love of Jesus to each one of us. We don't deserve it, but he wants to give it to us as a gift. So receive it. And then when you read through the Bible and you read about all these things that the Bible says that we can inherit, you can say, well, I can have that because actually it's got nothing to do with how I behaved yesterday. I can have that because it's got nothing to do with the things I'm battling with in my mind. I can have this promise because God says that he gives it to me as a gift. The second thing I want to share, which um, a paradigm shift, and we've, we've sang it actually all the way through um, today's service, is that we need to understand that God's kingdom is a kingdom, kingdom of unlimited possibilities. God defies convention. God can do the impossible because he is a miracle working God. Jeremiah 32 says, I am the Lord, the God of all the people 
evils of the world. Is anything too hard for me? He stopped the sun. He opened the seas. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He prevents three boys getting burnt in a fiery furnace. He stops a lion devouring. And Daniel, he gives, he takes the hardest of hearts and he has the ability to change it. He goes and says, open the mouth of a fish and you're going to find the money for your taxes in there. God can do anything and he does. And he says to you and I in our lives, don't limit me. We are brought up in a world that has limitations. It has boundaries. And we have to really be mindful that we don't pull those limitations and those boundaries into our walk with God. Because God is not, he, he doesn't work in a box. And he's not, deter, he's able to defy boundaries. He's able to do anything because he's a miracle working God. So in your life, it doesn't matter what people may say. It doesn't matter what the constraints may be. Don't say, well, God, you can't do this because, but we'll say, God, thank you that you said there's nothing that's too hard for you. So I'm going to believe in unlimited possibilities. I'm going to believe that you are able to do whatever you will to do in my life. And I'm not going to shrink you down into the way that I think, but I'm going to say, God, have free reign and do what you want. Ephesians says this, Ephesians three. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. God wants us to see that for our lives every day. He doesn't want us to box him in, but he says, no, I'm the God of miracles and I will do what I want to accomplish in your life. Because Luke 1, 30, 37 says this, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Why don't you say that? For with God, nothing will be impossible. And again, So don't let people box you in in your relationship. Don't let people say, well, he can't do that. No, 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 no. Don't let people try and determine where the boundaries of your life go. Let God determine that and say, my God can do the impossible. And that's what we cling and that is what we lean into. And when you look at the heroes of faith, when you look at the amazing things that are being done in this world, you see that actually... God defied impossible things all the time to accomplish his will. And he's got no problem at doing it in our lives in 2023. The third thing I want to say in terms of the way we've got to change our thinking, and it ties into this really, is that God does not need our strength to get the job done. He doesn't need our strength. We live in a world where strength is highly regardless, regarded and where weakness is frowned upon. Because people who are weak normally mean haven't got the skills to do the job or they're going to cause somebody to, um, we're going to like cause somebody to be delayed. We're going to cause others to slow them down. But do you know what? It's the opposite with this upside down kingdom. In our world, our world says you need to be strong to accomplish great things. And God says, in my world, you don't need to be strong to accomplish great things. Oh my gosh, how liberating. How liberating that actually God doesn't need any strength in us for us to do amazing things that he's got planned for us. Our strength contributes nothing to God's ability to be able to work in and through us. In fact, often it's our strength that will limit us because we're proud. And we think, oh, well, I did that because, because of my own strength, because I know this. And God's like, nah, we won't use them because then when something happens, they're going to attribute all of the praise to themselves. And this is what it says in, um, in, in Corinthians when Paul is pleading with God for him to remove the thorn from his flesh. This is what the Lord says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in 
weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So God doesn't need our strength to do anything in this world. In fact, he often bypasses strength and goes for those that are weak because then it glorifies him. Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 1 says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I find it so humbling and I find it so liberating to think, God, thank you that in my life, you're not relying on anything that I bring to the table. All you are looking for is a willing heart that says, Lord, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. Don't have a clue I'm going to do it, but Lord, I'll do it. And I'm going to trust that you're going to strengthen me to do the task that he has for us. Let's not let our reason get in the way. He's a God of unlimited possibilities. Don't box him in. He is the God that's able to do more than we could ever imagine. The thing is, God says, I don't need your strength. In fact, he says, don't give me your strength. Here, have mine. Have my strength. I love that it says in Philippians 4 in the Amplified, I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confidence peace. That is our confidence. That is our reassurance. We look again at the, through the Bible. We think of Moses and David and Joseph. We think of all the people that we read about that have done amazing things. Gideon, they had nothing to bring to the table. But uh, here you are, God, you can use me. And look what he did. And he says, I want to do the same through you and I. So we've got to shift our thinking. Don't go around thinking that God is boxed in and can only work in a certain way. No, God can do whatever he wants to do. He's a God of unlimited possibilities. So allow that thinking to permeate your every day. That God is a God of unlimited possibilities and that God doesn't need my strength to perform his will because he's going to infuse me to, with his strength to get the job done. And it's so liberating, isn't it? It's so freeing. And that's how we can live in this upside down world without having a brain rush and a head explosion because it's got nothing to do with us. Whereas in this world, everything's to do with us. And in God's world, in his upside down kingdom, everything's to do with him. Salvation is to do with him. His possibilities for our life is all to do with him. And his strength is all about his strength. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the fourth thing I want us to think about today, as we think about the way we need to change our thinking, and this is what God says, what Jesus says, is that we need to become like a child. Now, that is a bit of a paradigm shift, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but as I was growing up, I couldn't wait to become an adult. And all the things that I'd be able to do when I was an adult, or all the things I would be able to do, and things that would be unlocked for me in my life as I grew up. Because when you're young, you're not able to do so many things. And then as you get older, new doors of opportunity arise, and more things open to you. So in the world in which we live, becoming an adult is a really big thing. Adults usually talk about growing up as being like a promotion from childhood. Like childhood is like the, mm, it's okay, but actually being an adult and having the world open to us for us to do and enjoy and explore is where it's all to be. But in the upside down world of the kingdom, Jesus doesn't say, I can't wait for you to become like an adult. 
In fact, he says, we need to become like children. So Matthew 19 says this. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them before he left. What is that all about? The kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children? That was a radical proclamation in those days. Because in the ancient world, children were viewed as the low of the low. And in fact, many scholars believe that this is the first and only time in ancient Jewish literature where a child is used as a positive example. So this is a real paradigm shift for the people in that generation. But equally, it's a big paradigm shift for our generation as well. Because childhood is not the pinnacle. Adulthood is all about the pinnacle. So what is it that God wants us? What is it in a child where he says, well, I want you to be like a child? He doesn't want us to be childish. But he says he wants us to be like children. So I was just thinking about some attributes we find in children that I think can be helpful for us in our Christian walk and the way in which we approach our relationship with Jesus. The first thing I notice is that children are dependent, aren't they? There's a dependence in children. Children are completely reliant on those around them to survive, It's not possible for a newborn to tend for their own needs. It's not possible for a one-year-old or a two-year-old or even a five-year-old to be able to make it without the care of, um, of an adult around them. And I think that's just such a simple analogy of how Jesus wants us to approach our relationship with him, that he just wants us to be completely and utterly dependent on him. He really hasn't got a problem with being father. He, he really wants to hold us close. He really wants to tend for our every needs. He really wants to care for us. And I love that you see this beautifully demonstrated in the life of Jesus. John 5, 19 says this. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees his father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. What a beautiful dependence that Jesus had on God. And he says, I want you to be like that with me as well, where you're just looking and you're dependent and you need him. We come to him with nothing and we need him for everything. John 15, 5 says this, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches, Those who remain in me, like being dependent on him, being close to him, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Children have a dependence on their mum or their dad or their caregiver, and God wants us to have that dependence on him too. He doesn't want us to say, I can do it, I can do it. But he says, no. Just lean on me. Trust me in everything. And it's so beautiful to have that trust and that dependence and that reliance on him. The second thing I notice about kids is that they are filled with excitement and expectation. I love watching when a child is excited because they have no problem de- um, dis- um, like displaying their emotions, do they? You see them running, jumping, doing a bit of a victory jiggle. When they're excited, they're just happy to let everybody know that they are excited. You'll see them screaming, running up to hug you in the middle of a crowded situation because they're just so excited. And equally, I notice that children are full of hope and expectation. For any of you who've ever had children, have they woken up early and said, what are we doing today then? 
What are we doing? What does our day look like? They're keen to explore the day. They're keen to be involved in the day. They've got hope and expectation that today's going to be a fun day full of activity and exploring and new things. And often as adults, we get left in the wake of them, don't we, feeling completely bedraggled at the end of the day, thinking, please, will you just, will you just sit down for a while? But they're just keen to just extract everything that they can from the day. Kids are also really joyful. Have you noticed they've got like a buoyancy in them? And I was thinking about this in their excitement. It's like they're able to be joyful because of what they focus on. And they don't get distracted by the cares of the world. They're like really singular on things. You know, they they latch on to something and then they just go for it. And they're not looking and thinking, well, how is so-and-so over there doing? Or what about this over there? No, they're joyful. And they because they've got a focus, then they latch on to what they're excited for. And also with kids, I notice as well that they're genuinely excited to be around you. They want you, don't they? They want to be in your presence. They want to be with you. And that's how Jesus wants us to be in our relationship with him. He wants us to have an expectation and an excitement about our relationship with him that's unhindered from any unnecessary distraction because it is so precious and wonderful to have Jesus, the creator of the universe, as our Lord and our best friend. It's because of him that we can have hope. It's because of him that we can have joy. And he wants us to be able to express that freely without us feeling like we have to contain it. He says, no, kids are excited. They show it. They demonstrate it. We can be like that too. I think it's beautifully demonstrated um, in the life of David, the kind of passion and excitement that we can have for um, our Lord. In 2 Samuel 6, it says this, as the Ark of the Covenant, as the Ark of God's presence is being brought back to Jerusalem, it says, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might. I love that he was just unabashed in his exuberance for the Lord, and he just was doing a jig in front of everybody because he was he was there with the presence of God. It was coming back to Jerusalem and he was just like, couldn't believe it. He was so excited. And it says that Michael, his wife, saw him entering and he said, when she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. There's David like a child, like, oh, this is just the thing that's ever and there he is his wife's just looking thing oh gosh and it says that when um, Micah came to Michael came to speak to him and um, David retorted and said I was dancing before the Lord for he chose me I was thinking about that that is how we are to be when we think that God chose us we can't help but think gosh God thank you thank you that you chose us Thank you that you chose me. And that causes an excitement. And it says that he then goes on in verse 23 and he says, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this and even be humiliated in my own eyes. David was so excited about God's presence and so filled with hope and just so blessed by God choosing him that he couldn't help but just display it. He couldn't help but just to let it show from his lives. And I think that's how God wants us to be with him. He doesn't want us to feel this, but contain it all there, but walk around all sourpussed face. No, we should be the happiest people on earth. And when we talk to people about Jesus, that life and that excitement about what he's done for us should come out. And when we're in praise and worship, we shouldn't be thinking, well, I can't do this or I can't, you know, jump up and down because I don't, what will people think? No, if you are excited in the presence of God, when you get overwhelmed with the reality of who he is and what he's done, you just let it go. You run around, you do whatever you want, you dance with all of your might. And that's what I, that's what Jesus wants from us. He doesn't want us to have old heads where we've got to be respectable and da, 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 da. 
He says, no, let this life of God flow from you and let it just be demonstrated and let people experience it. And then you can tell them, well, why are you so happy? Why are you so joyful? You can say, because of what God's done for me. I can't help but say, God, thank you so much for what you have done in my life and for what you are doing. Also, I love with a child that they have no reservations or inhibitions. Dave mentioned it today. Come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy in your time of need. Children just do it. They may have asked five times, but they don't think, oh, I've asked five times now. I'm not going to go back in. No, they just keep going in. Can I have this? Some are wanting a dog. I don't know how many times I've heard her ask for a dog. And the answer is still no. But she just keeps on asking. She just keeps on asking. No inhibitions, just asks. And that's how God wants us to be with us. No inhibitions in his presence. Lay it all out. Lord, this is what I'm believing for. Lord, this is what I'm asking for from you. Lord, this is how I'm feeling. God doesn't want us to have to keep it all together. Let it all out. Be without inhibition. Be without all of those things that tangle us. You know, I think the biggest question that has limitations in our life is this question, what will other people think? That can really limit us in our life if we live every day thinking, what will other people think? What will other people think? And you think about, I was thinking about the woman that came to Jesus. And she, um, she broke the alabaster jar of ointment over Jesus' feet and she wept, didn't she? And she wept and she anointed Jesus. You know, when, Jesus, when she did that, Jesus wasn't in a room on his own where no one else was going to watch what she was doing. He was just over at Simon's house. There, there, there were other people there, all watching. But this woman had no inhibitions. She wasn't thinking, oh, I can't do this now. What will people think? She was just so mesmerized at Jesus who was there that she didn't care about what other people would think and just came before Jesus and wept and anointed him and was oblivious to anything else when face to face with the king. And that's how Jesus wants us to be with him. Not worried about what other people are thinking or saying, but we're just like so zoned in that I'm face to face with the king. And Jesus said to the woman, didn't he, that her sins were forgiven. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful aspect and attribute of a child to be uninhibited. God wants us uninhibited in our relationship with him. Uninhibited, not, not the constraints, but just freedom. He wants us to be free. And the final thing I want to say as I close today is that attribute of a child that I think the Lord really wants us to have in our lives is faith and trust. Yeah, I remember when the kids were little, they had no problem launching themselves off the stairs or off the back of the sofa into our arms. No problem whatsoever. They just run, dad, and then off they go, Superman flying through the sky. Why? Because they trusted and had faith that we were going to catch them as they hurled themselves through the air. No problem I believe in you, Dad. Come on, come and get me. That's how Jesus wants us to be with him. He wants us to have faith and trust in him. And I think we can see this beautifully exampled in Matthew 14. It was a really tough day for Jesus that day and the disciples. John, his cousin, Jesus' cousin, had just been beheaded. And Jesus wanted to get away just to have some time to just process what had happened. But when the crowds knew where he was going, they followed him. And so he wasn't able to get the time away that he was wanted, but he was so moved with compassion as he saw their needs that it says that he healed them and he spent time with them. And it's actually in this passage in Matthew 14, after he did that, that the people were hungry. And that's where we see the miracle take place at the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus, having a tough day, ends up touching people, healing them, doing a miracle. And then he says to the disciples, he says, I'm going to just send the people away now. Why don't you get in the boat and go to the other side? 
and the disciples get in the boat, and as they're in the middle of the lake, a massive storm brews up, okay? And they're terrified, absolutely terrified with what's happening because it's a major storm, okay? And it says that at three o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes walking on the water to the disciples who are terrified. And the disciples see him and go, ah, it's a ghost, you know, and they're really scared. And it says the first words that Jesus speaks to the disciples as he's walking is this. It literally is, take courage. I am don't be afraid. That phrase, I am, is powerful because it is the Old Testament name for God. You know, when, when Moses said, who do I say when I go before, before Pharaoh? And he says, say that I am sent you. I am. So this is the Old Testament name for God. And what Jesus is saying there is that I am here. There is no need to fear. He is in control. God is there there in the midst. And I think that's so exciting for us because nothing has changed. I am is still in the midst of our storms. I am is still in the midst of our everyday life. He says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says that he will never fail. So God, I am is still in the midst. And when he said, I am, we see that Peter says, oh Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come walking on the water. And Jesus says, yes, come. I love that about Peter. His faith was so simple. Jesus was there walking. Lord, tell me to come and I'll do it. And off he popped over the other edge of the boat and started walking on the water. And I think that's so exciting for us as Christians. And that's the way that God wants us to be. That's the way that I've tried to live my life in my faith. I just want it to be simple faith. I'm a bit like this. Lord, if I read it in the Bible, then I'm going to choose to believe it. And I may not like what I read sometimes because it may challenge me in my thinking and the ways of doing things, but I won't ignore it because I know that I need to disregard my thoughts and I need to embrace your thoughts. And Lord, when I read Steph and I see what you say, my feelings may not feel fuzzy. In fact, I may feel like I don't want to do this, but Lord, your word says it, I believe it, and actually you tell me that I don't live according to my feelings, I live according to my faith, the just shall live by faith. So I'm going to cling to your word and I'm going to place my trust in you implicitly because actually I believe that you are in control and that's what God wants us to be like. Just like when we read the Bible, just like when P Peter said, Lord, is that you? Call me out. And he says, come. He, when we read the Bible and we read what we see and we read all these things, Jesus says, just believe it and just act, just believe it and trust that I am going to do what I'm saying I'm going to do. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek him in all you do and he will show you what path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. God just wants us to place simple faith and trust in him. He just says, what I am is who I am, and my record is impeccable. So just believe in me and seize me in every single situation that we face. Now, if we track back to Matthew 14, we see Peter jumps out of the boat, starts walking on the water, and then all of a sudden he gets distracted because he realizes he's actually walking in the middle of the storm on these massive waves, and this is all quite scary. And all of a sudden, his faith begins to waver, and he begins to sink, and becomes terrified, and he cries out to God, save me! Save me! And I love actually what Jesus does next. It says, immediately, Jesus reached out and grabbed him. 
Jesus doesn't abandon us even when our faith goes a bit wonky and wobbly, okay? So he, we place our faith and trust in him. And then sometimes circumstances of life may cause us to kind of go like this. But I love that Jesus says, well, I'm leaving them. Gosh, they failed again. They can't even place their faith. No, when we are struggling, he reaches out and he grabs us and he helps us along, with that, along the way. And it says that when they got back in the boat, the disciples were in awe. And they just worshipped him. They just worshipped him for they said, for you truly are the son of God. Jesus wants us to be like a child in our faith and in our trust in him. He wants us to believe wholeheartedly his promises. And there may be times where we're weak and we get distracted and we start failing. But Jesus grabs in in the midst of all of that and he pulls us up and he brings us back into the boat. And again, we just can't help but go, oh God, you are just so good. Oh God, you are so good. You never leave me. You're in control of everything. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants us to have with him. Just so childlike and and that, that we just cling back to him straight away. We don't say, oh, because I've messed up now, um, maybe I'll leave it for a few days before I come back to God. But no, it's like, no, come back straight away. Come in and just worship because we all have scrapes, we all have problems, but Jesus wants us to have that simple faith and trust in him. You know, the disciples really got a great revelation of Jesus that day in Matthew 14. They saw amazing things. They saw miracles. They saw him walking on water. They realized for themselves that Jesus is the son of God. And I find it quite interesting the next day when they, once they're over at the other side, um, the crowds are there and the crowds, um, and Jesus begins to heal um, the, um, the, um, the people that are bringing their sick to him. And then the Pharisees come. The Pharisees come to see Jesus, find this fascinating, no joke, because this is them trying to be all adult. Do you know what, after the boys have just seen what they said, do you know what the Pharisees come, first thing they say? It's brilliant, this is, I'm, I'm just in shock. They said, why don't the disciples wash their hands before they eat? No joke. Let me read it to you. The Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem and they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our old age, age old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. Do you know what? I say that to say they were quite adult in their thinking. They thought they knew it all and they approached God with the I know it all thinking, not the simple faith. And that's what our own wisdom ends up causing us to do when the God of miracles is there healing the sick, doing amazing things. They're wondering why disciples are not washing their hands. This is why we have to have childlike faith. Because if we are going to try and be all big and think that we're really clever because we know all this stuff and we're trying to tick all these boxes, we are going to miss out on the wonderful Jesus that's right in front of us. It was their pride. It was their knowledge. It was the, who they thought they were that caused them to miss out on the Messiah that was right in their midst. And we've got to, that's why we've got to come to him like a child. Because when we come with our own reason and intellect, that's where we miss out. Proverbs 3, we just read it about trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Well, the end of that scripture in Proverbs 3 says this, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. The Pharisees were impressed with their own wisdom. Well, there's an age old tradition about washing your hands and we've noticed that the disciples aren't doing it. So you go and just talk about washing hands while other people are going to have their lives transformed and changed because they recognize whose presence they are in. We have got to approach Jesus with childlike faith. Matthew 18 says this, when the disciples got a little bit proud now, they were only fishermen, most of them, when, they, um, when Jesus called them, but they're in the midst of everything. They're seeing the miracles. They're involved in it. It's all very exciting. They get a little bit proud now. So they start saying, well, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? So they come to Jesus. Jesus, who's the greatest? And this is what 
It says in Matthew 18, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And he then said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible is filled with paradigm shifts that we need to get our heads around if we are truly to enter and flourish and receive all that God has for us in his upside-down kingdom. I encourage you to receive what I've said today and go and discover more of those paradigm shifts that God wants us to transform in the way that we think because honestly, the kingdom of God is so expansive. It is so marvelous and is so wonderful and it's for all of us to be partakers of it's for all of us to enjoy it's not just for an elite few that know loads or have been brought up in a christian family no the kingdom of god is for each one of us whether we've come from a good family whether we haven't whether we've got a good background whether we haven't it's for all of us and he says he wants all of us to enjoy that his kingdom here in our lives. He wants our new nature, which is his nature, to absolutely permeate our lives so that we can walk out in this kingdom way. So allow his word to change and transform our thinking today so that we really can receive all that he has for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pray while the guys come up to... um, to just come and minister. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we thank you that you do truly change and transform us to be conformed into your image. And Lord, today we ask that you would help us understand all of your kingdom in its fullness in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would change our thinking. You would transform the way that we think so that we can approach you right. Lord, that we can approach, uh, we can think well about ourselves and the way that you want us to think. And Lord, that we can also impact the people that we see with this new revelation of the kingdom culture within our lives. Lord, thank you that you are so patient with us in this journey. We'll never arrive, but Lord, we are going through this journey day by day and you help us conforming us to your image. And Lord, we thank you for the beautiful kingdom that you allow us to be a part of in Jesus' name. Amen.